Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we are here today to talk with someone that has steered off the lame path of the status quo. Today's guest is a serial social entrepreneur that has been disrupting for over a decade, probably more than that. He's a mentor for the tech stars, and he's an active angel investor. But we're talking to him today because of his disruption of building a digital solution to overwhelming credit card debt. He's on a mission to make financial relief accessible to everyone. Coming to us live from New York, CEO at Relief App, Jason Saltzman, alias the Caring Disruptor. <laughs> hey, KJ. Yeah, no, I, I keep saying this. I need to have this like clapping in the background. <laughs> it's like, shh. I felt it though. I feel like okay, I have good. to take you with me everywhere because that was a... That was an amazing intro. With one correction, yes, I'm actually I moved to Boulder, Colorado, almost a year ago. So I'm in Boulder. Did I know that? I think so, but I think we spoke. I was in New York because I'm there often. All right. Last time we spoke, you were in New York, but today you're in Boulder. <laughs> That's right. Coming to us live right. from Boulder. All right, good. Well, I like Colorado too. Yeah, it's beautiful. So thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, good. I'm excited to talk to you too. So let's get into this. Let's do the very first question, right? Yeah. Jason, what is your number one main ingredient to disruption? Yeah, I think if you're going to do something that hasn't been done before, or you're going to do something different and not just better, I think the main ingredient for me is really caring about, well, everything really, but I think it's more than just money. I think when people go into entrepreneurship, there's this like unspoken goal of like having a yacht or becoming like a billionaire overnight, which, you know, is very unlikely. Starting a business from scratch, especially in the early stages, it's like, it's basically like a lottery ticket, a very high percentage of companies fail, right? And I think that if you're going to walk down that path, of getting yourself bruised and beat up and hearing no's a thousand times and having to explain and refine your vision and mission, you really have to care about something else other than money, right? And that's caring about the people you're creating value for. It's all about value creation, right? Because money is just a receipt of value. If you think about it, that's a, it's a barometer. It means that you're creating value. And the best way to get to value is to really care about who you're creating that value with. That is so very true. It, it is a barometer for value. It is also a barometer for confidence in that sure. company or product that is creating value, right? So let's it's talk ultimate. about who you're creating value for. And yeah, let's talk about, first of all, this overwhelming credit card debt right? Because this is who you're creating value for, the people that there are the effect of this. Yeah. What is going on with this overwhelming credit card debt? Who is mostly affected? What the heck is going on today? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really sad, actually, because it's sort of like the solutions that are out there are pretty simple. However, the comp, the problem is extremely complex. And I think credit card debt, it's just not sexy. People don't talk about it. Obviously, you don't want to talk about your debt. It's not the topic of dinner conversation. It hasn't been normalized. There's a lot of stigma around it. But what that stigma does, it has it has systemic ramifications, right? And part of that is when you start to look at the problem itself. I mean, we're talking about one in three Americans have an account that's either that's falling behind, right? That's one in three people in America. I mean, just think about that stat for a second. And if you start thinking about that, it's like, how did we get here? How is the system built that gets people into this problem? What is the problem really about? Is it about a, like one in three Americans that are just irresponsible? Or is it part of a lack of fiscal or financial education, right? So when you start to dissect the problem, it's so deep on so many different levels. It affects so many different communities. I mean, one in three Americans, it affects everyone. It disproportionately affects marginalized communities of color because not only has there been a lack of financial education and typically in these communities, but also when you find the data, some of the largest creditors in the world and subprime lenders with the highest interest rates, they go after these communities, right? So it's like a compounded problem. And it got totally, the problem totally expanded because of the coronavirus, because what happened is the government just started printing capital and giving it to people. And you think that's a great thing. And for many people, they needed it, right? But what the systemic effect of it, the data shows us that People had access to more capital. Their savings in Amer- the savings rate in America went up because they had more money than they ever did, and that pinged the creditors automatically to issue more credit. Hmm. When you issue more credit in a society that leverages credit for good and for bad, vis-a-vis credit cards, spending money on shit you just don't need, right? That problem is going to compound, and it did last quarter alone was the largest increase in credit card balances ever recorded in the history of recording debt. You're kidding. No. And so- Last quarter long. Can you repeat that? Because that's like a, a sound bite, like yeah. mic drop. Last quarter, the national credit card debt jumped to the highest levels it's ever jumped to ever in history. And many, many economists point that directly in the direction of the deployment of capital that people did not generally had access to before the pandemic. So that's the systemic effect of just printing checks and sending them to people, which I understand it, it's needed absolutely in many areas, but there is a cause and effect to everything we do. And this is a this is a side effect I don't think anybody really predicted. No. And so now balances that have gone up, we're going to start to see major increases in defaults. Because now that the money got the money circulation got cut off and it's time to get back to work. And even though we're at the height of like the most booming job market and one of the most booming job markets we have ever seen, there's still this compounded debt that completely outweighs monthly income statistically. And you have a problem where people have taken out more debt than what they can afford to pay back on a monthly basis at whole. And then when you have that, you're taking into effect default interest rates on credit cards, which are the average credit card interest rate in America today is 29.73%. It's like and usury. Is, 
Yeah, I mean, you could. Yes, I mean that. That's why credit card companies are the, the the some of the most profitable companies in the world. But when you're stuck making minimum payments, what you'll see is the balance won't go anywhere, and you're in this sort of wheel of never-ending. You know, your money's evaporating into nothing, and you end up paying these things that you bought two years ago. You end up still paying for years later and not getting anywhere. And this is a cycle that many Americans are in. It's, it's actually, there's a name for it. It's called the credit card trap. And many people don't know they're in it. And it's all gamified around uh, the credit score, right? Our whole cultural system of value in America today is gamified by the function of a credit score. So many people are, are paying this minimum payment with their money evaporating into thin air vis-a-vis extremely high compounded interest rates. And when you start to dissect the problem and talk to these people, they're not living their best lives. In some cases, I've even seen people skipping meals and not being able to feed their kids three square meals a day, but yet making that minimum payment to the credit card companies because they want to keep that credit score intact. And the message that we've been building, you know, over the last two years at Relief, which is the company we'll talk about soon, is that your life is worth more than a credit score. You have to really think about the quality of life and what the systemic ramifications are financially if this continues to go on. And many people aren't ready to hear that, but they need to because there are ways. There are extremely algorithmic and simple ways out of the problem. Yet as I alluded to earlier, the problem is extremely complex. The solutions are pretty simple. Well, all the best solutions are the most simple. And I do believe that, that we have vested interests in many areas of our lives that like to keep things complex. So the simple things cannot be found out. But this is, to me, when I'm listening to you, this is like modern day slavery. It's yeah. a crushing economic wheel that yeah. people are under and you say it's gamified. Give me some more data on that. Well, I, I, I could, we could shoot statistics and data all day long, but let me give you some very pragmatic examples that everybody knows, right? Just think about when you're in college, or go back to when you're in college or whomever is listening to this is in college. When you go to a job fair, there's more credit card booths set up than jobs being offered. Every time you go to a baseball game or the mall, there's a credit card booth with like a toy or a, a gimmick to get you to sign up that day. And every time you walk up to the counter with a purchase at any department store, they're offering you 10 to 20% off your purchase today if you just take a credit card out. These are social opportunities to extend a very complicated financial instrument wrapped in the velvet of a good thing to do in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and this is wrapped a, this in the is, velvet. And and, and this is and this is not a mis, this is not just like oh yeah, let's try this out. It's not you a know, coincidence. This is no, this is boardrooms, right? And design rooms with the, some of the most highest paid consultants in the world trying to figure out how to get very expensive credit in the hands of people that don't really understand how to use it. And that's a key point. You know, you talked about financial literacy, right? Let's just for example, just this very simple example of what you spoke about before. So we have this infusion of cash into our society. People are getting it, right? Mm -hmm. And that can bring about a false sense of security. I mean, what's the first thing you do when you get an influx of cash? You're really supposed to pay all your debt and not 
invest in anything that has future payments in it, mm. right? But what do we do? Mm. We buy more. And then mm. we end up getting ourselves into more debt and extend yeah. ourselves beyond our ability to pay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 100%. So this financial literacy, you're talking about it being these tactics. Yeah. Definitely thought out, premeditated, wrapped in velvet. Is the suppression of financial literacy part of that? Or is it just generations of ignorance? Yeah, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so there's only so much so far I can go. <laughs> well, we're not being conspiracy you know, theorists uh, here. Well, but, you can, you can, yeah. because well, if they think about it for a second, it's easy to be a conspiracy theorist in a in an environment where you go to school and you learn how to dissect a fucking frog, right? Like, how good is the practical application of learning about a frog's guts? <laughs> I never did that. But, but by the nobody way. understands how to use a credit card, right? <laughs> no, Which is it's the so most true, practical, and I'm not laughing at that. It's true, right? Which is the most practical application of our day? Why is credit not teach not taught to us? in kindergarten when we're learning math for the first time because that's practical application why is linear programming in game theory a subject matter in high school at some high schools and not you know what the ramifications are from spending money that you don't have in your bank account the proper use of when to use a credit card or not what's the difference between bad debt and good debt why are these things not taught and by the way this is this is definitely a problem that's disproportionate in many areas, but the problem itself has no boundaries. And you start to see some of the highest problems, some of the highest balances, individual balances are with people that have extremely advanced education, right? Like doctors and lawyers are amongst some of the biggest people that carry the biggest balances because they're not, they're still not being taught the eight extra years of school not one of those classes about how to manage your credit card and manage your books, right? And now if you're making 200,000, 300,000 a year, the credit card companies will issue you even more credit, mm -hmm. right? Those are some of the biggest balances, but there's a massive problem in those communities as well. That is so interesting. Yeah. People don't normally think of that, do they? People they are not. living beyond their means. That yeah, well, the system is gamified. I mean, every time you turn on the television, our whole country is set up to sell you something and, and, and you want a life that many people can't afford and extending credit gives you that opportunity to get something that you cannot afford. I mean, even look at those Visa and MasterCard commercials of that lifestyle they're selling people. It's like, oh shit, I want that, but I don't have the money to pay for it. But now you do with credit or your best friend. Well, that comes with the big shackles. So you're right. It is. I mean, when you look at it from a hyperbolic perspective, it is absolute modern day slavery. I mean, when you're working for something and you're not able to use your income the way you want to use it, but because you're paying money into this, into the system that you'll never get out, it, it could, it, it very well can, can be compared to that. And I want to be sensitive to whoever's listening because I'm not diminishing slavery at all as a subject matter. And it's not my place to even talk about it. That being said, what would, what else would you call it? And when you're working your ass off every single day and some people have two and three jobs and they can't feed their kids, but yet they're making minimum payments and the balance in some cases goes up, what else would you call it? Yeah, it's a crushing economic wheel. Yeah. When did sad. you, what was it? When was the moment for you? When was the epiphany where you said, oh, fuck it, I've got to do something about this. Like I'm done Yeah. with this. 
Well, I was exposed to the problem 20 years ago. It was one of the first businesses that I built. However, I did not like the way that we charged people. Hmm. I found the only way to make money in the debt solution space was to charge consumers, whether it be a percentage of what you save them or an upfront fee and whatever the government allowed at the time, you still had to charge them. And I got out of the business because that the the unit economics of how the business works and how simple the business is, it brings about a lot of bad actors, right? It's such a simple business. You prey on people that are vulnerable. You tell them you can help them. You charge them a fee. You buy leads off the internet or whatever way you're getting marketing. And it, there's a tremendous amount of capital that could be made from the, this type of business. So that the simplicity of it brings in a lot of bad actors. And I try to work my way around it because I was so focused on these people that I would speak to every single day that were going through this problem. So I, I left the space ultimately with a chip on my shoulder. Like I wish that I could solve this, but there was no venture capital wasn't the way it was 20 years ago. The advent of the iPhone changed everything. Building uh, modern technology became much more simple and co- and less costly. And during my career, because I built other businesses and I was surrounded by really good-natured people that wanted to solve big problems, my network got expanded enough to where we started asking this question, like, if we were to do this today, how would it look? And how could we give back to these consumers? And how could we take that care and turn it into disruption, mm. right? Which ultimately goes into your first question. And that's when I found out that we can, this is the time that we can do this. And it really came about at the beginning of the, the pandemic because of my involvement in the space early on. I started to get a ton of different calls from friends and family. Hey, I know that you worked in the credit card and debt space. I'm having this problem. Can you help me? And I started like manually, like walking people through the solutions because the solutions are there. They're so simple. They're just not being put in front of your face. And many people that are hiding from this problem just don't know. So we started to think about how we would solve this problem through radical transparency and make it free for consumers to get themselves out of the situation. And that became an, an obsession. I love it. I love that it's an obsession. And I love this radical transparency. So tell me about the innovation. Tell me about the radical transparency. How does it work? Yeah. So there's a few things because it's very dependent on your situation, right? People, that's not so simple. It falls into different categories, right? Somebody who's making their minimum payments or more is a much different scenario. Uh, than somebody who's behind on their bills, for instance, right? And there's different solutions that fit each scenario, right? And some might be as simple as calling your creditor and working out a deal. Many people don't know. Matter of fact, the statistics that were done, there was a study done by McKinsey last year of when people are falling behind, what's the percentage of, of getting them back on the phone, right? The creditor reaches out through like debt collection, and it's something in the neighborhood of 2%. So 98% of people that are going through a problem are, are hiding from it. They're hiding from their mailboxes. They're, they're not any 1-800 number that pops through, they're just not answering it, right? And that makes sense, right? Digital, especially in a digital native environment, right? right. Digital natives, don't even, they don't even want to talk to their significant others on the phone, right? right? 
So, you know, that so reminds more- me of the housing market back when the crash happened in, what was it, 2009 or so? That mm-hmm. particular statistic of all people that were um, defaulting on their homes, only 2% yeah. would actually reach out to their banks to get help. That's right. And the banks had solutions. Yeah. But at that point, the bank was the enemy. So how, yeah. why are you going to call the enemy? Like I'm hiding from the enemy. Like why would I? And that's not just the consumer's problem. I mean, look at the debt collection methods across the United States. I mean, they hire these assassins, right? That are, it's a dirty space. I mean, I could talk about this for four hours, but on the other side of the debt collection space is, is extremely dirty. I mean, they are incentivized, right? On a performance basis to get you on the phone and have you pay, right? And when you have that environment where you're incentivized that way, right, based on performance, and if you get bad actors on the phone, which is typically the people that do these type of jobs in the first place, they have a screen, they have a dialer, they're making a thousand calls a minute to get somebody on the phone and basically harass them to get them to pay, right? So it's not a secret or it, it's it's a very common sense oriented why somebody would hide from that, right? So it's totally. not just it's not just like oh I didn't pay this bill let me go into a corner. It's like you pick up the phone and it's like is this, this you're on a recorded line? Well, it sounds like a death threat is about. It's to happen, a type. You know? it's, it's a type of harassment, and people are already in, in fear at that particular point. So that's right. You have to when you care to which we do, you have to think of the behavioral and mental state that these people are going through that are behind on their bills. And when you start to talk to people, you find out that they're hiding this. They're living a double life in some cases. They're not telling their significant others, right, that this problem exists. They're not sleeping at night. They're having trouble paying for their kids' meals. And this is, they feel their integrity has been stripped away. And this is, this is exactly what's happening right now on a mass scale. And everybody I talk to that is going through this problem has a tenor of that. And then compounded with these aggressive tactics to make them feel even more like shit. One of the biggest reasons why we wanted to build this company is to normalize this problem so we can give people their dignity back. You're more than just your debt and you're not a bad person because you fell behind in a bill. Matter of fact, you're the anomaly if you haven't. Right. Data shows us. Right. So- we're normalizing this particular, and that's a quite a bit of education. That's generational education, right? Because we've been taught not to talk about this. We've been taught not to talk about our finances. It's sort of a taboo mm-hmm. subject. Yeah. So how do you do that with Relief App? And I think it's appropriately named, very aptly named, Relief App, right? Mm-hmm. But it sounds like you have several different target audiences. So how do you get the word out? What's your challenge there? Yeah, well, so... I just want to go back to your original question, which is oh. like, what is it, radical transparency? Because yes. it has to do with the answer to this. It's like, we want to make the problem transparent, right? So like, you'll see, we're launching the app this year. And one of the things that you'll definitely see is like how big the problem is, right? Because we want to ensure you that you're not alone, right? Everybody we speak to that's going through this problem, when they find out the statistics, it's like, you see the sigh of relief, like almost instantly. It's like, I'm not, I'm not alone. Yeah. I'm not a piece of shit shit because everybody's going through this. And this is just the way the system's built. Remember our conversation earlier about lack of financial education. I mean, the systemic effects, one of the systemic effects is the part of the problem that you're in right now. Right. 
for the most part, right? So we want to let people know that they're not alone. That's number one in any way that we do that. People start to see that. Number two is like letting them know like about the solutions that exist, right? Because nobody, when you start to talk about the solutions, it's like, no way. Like, are you serious? It's like, yeah, first off, typically speaking, if you have a problem with your credit card, paying it, you can call up your creditor and work out a deal. And there's a whole algorithm on the back end based on your situation that the creditors are willing to work with you. The problem is 98% of people that are in this problem, they're hiding from these creditors, right? So one of the things the app will do is it'll do that for them. It'll just filter through your situation. It'll collect data automatically through new modern day technology and technology tools that I won't bore you on, but they currently exist. We're not reinventing the wheel and it'll present you these options. It'll make these options completely transparent to you. And you get to choose that this, if this option is right for you or is it not? And it does that completely free, whatever the situation is, whether it be lowering your interest rate, whether it be uh, a forbearance program where you can't pay for a couple months, and that's an option available given the, the situation, given the specific situation that you're in, or whether it be a, a settlement, a lump sum that's significantly less than the balance of what you owe um, and paying that off and working to pay that off. I mean, these solutions absolutely exist. They don't get marketed and the credit card companies can't market these things. It's sort of like uh, how Priceline works with hotels. Like the hotels can't market an extremely low rate, lower than what their website says, because that would lower the value of the product, right? So what they do is they use Priceline as a tool so that the hotel room doesn't go empty and they still create some revenue. It's the same thing with creditors. Like these deals exist, they're hidden in this veil and you don't know about them because you're hiding from them. But we're going to make it very transparent of what options are available to each and every person that's going through this problem. So that's the radical transparency. And it is radical. It's simple, but it's it radical. Shouldn't be. It shouldn't be, but yes. It shouldn't yeah. be radical, but it is, yes. Yeah. And how does this app pay for itself? Like, how is that going to yeah. work? So the, so the other side to the application, we're doing, we're setting up bank accounts for everyone to ensure that we can do the best thing with their money. Obviously not as relief, but as suggestive tools and having access to your, having access to data with the, what you're doing with your money will help the system automatically tell you what the best thing to do with it is right? Because everything is math. That's the simplicity of it. (laughs) Debt is an algorithm. Interest rates are an algorithm. As emotional as we get over these things because of the situation gets compounded socially and credit scores and what that does to your mentality, but everything is math. So let math work for you for once, right? And by the way, these tools have always been available to the super wealthy, right? The, The wealthy are always able to get into a room with a bunch of mathematicians and mitigators and do debt restructuring, right? But now through technology and the iPhone and modern day systems and business modeling, we get to democratize the same processes and offer them to everybody. And we make money off doing that, like very, just like a bank makes money. So every time you use your card, every time you take a loan out through the system, there's so many ways of monetization that are not aggressive to the consumer we do not have to do we don't have to charge for any of these solutions or any of these outcomes based on like every neo banking model on the planet right now that's badass so is there any is there anybody that this pisses off is this a, is a is there a value network that completely changes and 
cut out. Yeah. So totally. So so the companies that are charging exorbitant predatory fees to bring these solutions to reality, you're going to die. Like there's no reason why you should exist. And there are thousands of these companies and they're making billions of dollars off the backs of vulnerable people every year. You are going to die. One other thing that we think about often is should debt collection, well, I'll make a statement, debt collection in its current form should absolutely not exist. How should it exist? It should be giving people educated options on their solutions that fit their needs and the needs of their family and not some young kid calling you up, threatening your life if you don't make a payment. Right. Well, you have made two very forward thinking statements right there. (laughs) Well, Well, when you care, right, and you talk about disruption and obsession leads to some insights. Mm -hmm. And these are truths that we wish to accomplish. Right. So what are your challenges with this? What are going to be your challenges? You're releasing the app this year. I don't know Mm -hmm. when exactly, in the next quarter or so. But what are your challenges? Q3, we're scheduled, but that might change. I mean, there's a, it's a big build and we want to make sure it's right for everyone and that the system's working properly every time somebody uses it. And that's going to take some time. The challenge really is letting people know this exists. The challenge also is creating seamless systems with these creditors, right? Because we we don't want to hurt them. We want to help them, right? Debt collection costs them. We're a win-win because when you start to look at the collection costs, of this debt and the fact that debt collection companies have a 2% contact rate in general, and we'll have a 100% contact rate because people are coming to us for this solution. So we want to work with them. We want to work with creditors. We want to figure this out together. And we believe that there's a world that credit needs to exist, right? But it just yeah. needs to exist responsibly. And we need to have empathy for people's personal situations. We need to have empathy for the fact that Certain people lacked financial education. We need to make sure that these people become good borrowers. And a good borrower is an educated borrower. We can do that. You don't need a classroom to do that. You need system management tools to do that. I don't need to know how Uber works. I just need to know it's going to pick me up. Yeah. It's going to drop me off at my destination. Right? right. So that's what we're doing. Got it. And how will you, like, what are the challenges of reaching these? audiences and which audiences are you going after first? Like where is the most pent up demand? You know, it's a very interesting question. And because our seed round, we were so successful at acquiring users. Like we set out to get about 20,000 to 50,000 users in a very short amount of time. We got over a hundred thousand. Our customer acquisition costs were significantly lower than market trends in this, in this typical space. So Really, we and most of the people were sharing it with their friends and family. So I think the solution really resonates with people. I think what I'm saying right now really resonates with people. I think that when people hear this, like whoever is listening to this, the one in three Americans, they're going to go on relief.app and sign up. I don't think that because it's no risk, it's free, right? So I don't really, a distribution really isn't. It's a task and we definitely need to nail it, but that's not on our concern level. That's not it. Our our concern level goes where the app 1000% needs to do everything to create value for our customers. And that's what we're obsessed over. I think if you have, if you're cracking a problem, like we're cracking distribution will happen on its own. Makes sense. Makes total sense. 
where do you see this? I mean, you have this, you have eloquently communicated the status quo, the problem, the caring factor, the pent up demand, the different target audiences that are truly affected by this, even ones that we wouldn't even imagine. And it's such a huge problem. One in three is huge, right? How do you see things changing over the next three, five, 10 years when this type of communication and education makes it its way into the public where they start to go that's fucking it yeah well we very much see this as a process right so first we have to get everybody in so we can help everybody and the more and it turns out the more people we can help for free the more power we have to help them right? It's community. It's help by numbers and collective bargaining. We're much more powerful together as a unit than we are individual. And that's sort of what the system is banking on is, is this stigma that gets people from talking about it. So we don't unite, you know, relief is going to unite the people together, right? Because it's doing it for free and making it accessible for everyone. We right. have the power to get everybody a better deal. And once the best thing about the statistics that we have thus far is once somebody goes through a typical program like a bankruptcy or even the existing systems that occur, there's a statistic where it's around the 83% where people become what's called mm -hmm. a rehabilitated borrower in the language of our world is it makes more money for the bank. <laughs> they pay responsibly. They know what to do now. So we believe that through taking care of this problem, people will get educated automatically become rehabilitated borrowers and becoming a rehabilitated borrower makes you a better borrower. You get to live a better life. You don't have to deal with the rigmarole of getting kicked out of banking and feeling like your dignity was stripped away. The banks make more money because they're, they're getting paid their interests. They're not being cut off from the 98% of people that hide from them. And we could really start to rebuild our lives and use technology not to manipulate data, not to sell us something that we don't need, but use technology to get dignity back into our lives and make better financial decisions. Our financial well-being will help our overall well-being and get us to live better lives. And that's where we want to be. And the truth of the matter is when you understand finance and you do have your dignity restored, you become a, a better contributing member of society, you become more productive, mm -hmm. right? And that Absolutely. generates more production and cash flow into the society, but on a production basis. Yeah, the other side to that, what's happening right now is so dirty, it needs to die. And I can go into it again for four hours and talk about the problem because it's so big and complex. But it's just, and the reason why this doesn't exist today is very small. It's a very small-minded, manipulative, political, systemically discouraging problem that needs to die a quick death. Good. Well, you know what? I know we could talk about that for many more hours, but let's save that for your outreach campaign. And you should really expose it. You should expose the hell out of it, Jason, because it needs to be exposed. Yeah. Yep. Okay, good. So Q3, maybe Q4? Yeah, we're working night and day. I mean, after this call and before this call, this is all we're working on. So the team is growing rapidly and we are all committed to this thing. 100%. That's awesome. That's awesome.
So I want to get a little personal here. Like how have you always been this way? Like, tell me about little Jason. Have you, have you always looked at things from a, from a particular point of view, like looking at things from an outside perspective and saying, this is not okay. This has got to change. Like, have you always been this caring or was it something that like totally disrupted your space where you, you took a step back and changed the course of your life. Like, tell me, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I've learned is how powerful having the right people around you is, right? Because you get to start a sort of look at different viewpoints and having a diverse group of people around you, not just to check a box, but to actually see the way the world, the way the world really works, right? And the way the world really works for me and for many people that I speak to is that we feel better helping other people. Like I'm at my most calm, my most serene moments when I'm helping somebody else, right? And I've surrounded myself over the years with people that want to build things to really make a difference mm -hmm. and to have not only distributed use of whatever it is you're building, but to really put people's lives in a better direction, right? And I think the way that I've gotten here, and it hasn't been always for me. I mean, when I first got into entrepreneurship, I definitely did it for the paycheck. You wanted the and yacht. <laughs> I, I did. I did want the yacht. I wanted these things. I wanted nice things and all that. But I, then you get kicked in the face enough to know, like, there's got to be a bigger picture here. And then on top of that, I don't want to take away from the way I was raised. My mother left my father because she was unhappy when I was one. And she went back to school to learn how to become a teacher and to get all the accreditations to become a teacher. And we live with my grandparents during that process. And it was, we lived in a, a small house with a bunch of people. And it was very humbling because we lived in an area where there was like extreme, there was no separation of class. And there was like one side was like lower middle class and the other side was like upper middle class. And you, I grew up seeing like all of the things that I didn't have. But then again, learning from my mom, like, if you want something, you better go do it. You better work your ass off to do it. And you better make sacrifices in order to do it. And I guess that instilled like this sense of morality inside me that it has to be more than just a bigger thing. And then you start to get older. And I think morals come out with maturity, right? Like I'm getting older. And I'm like, I'm definitely not going to be here forever. I definitely want to leave the planet and the people around me in a better way and making an impact while I'm still here. And why the hell not? could do it why not like let's just make everybody's lives better so that should be a became, slogan why not but you know they, they do say whoever they is but i have read this before that people that really help others that want to help others are some of the healthiest people in many different aspects right because it is the thing that makes us part of mankind and I know we're getting very philosophical here, but yeah. the insane can't help others. They have to be so helped, right? They just as a total polar opposite, right? So the people that can help others through thick and thin are those that really, in my opinion, change the world. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah, so good for you. So what do you do outside of this? I mean, you're working day and night on this. So before this podcast after this podcast, but do you have any crazy passions or hobbies that keep you saner <laughs> besides helping others? Yeah. I mean, well, it's a lot, right? So like, I don't really blur the lines of like work balance for me is like when you love the things that you're tackling, it sort of blends. So everything is like 
about growth, about personal growth for me. Like I read a lot. I like to put stuff in front of me that makes me feel like I learned something that I didn't, or maybe just a different way, a different, a shift of mindset. So I definitely do a lot of reading. I love to play poker. (laughs) I'm like a big poker player. I think that poker is for many people that play, they know this already, but it's so intellectually stimulating to be able to have such quick decision-making and all the thought processes that go through poker um, is so stimulating to me. So I do that. Um, Are you good at it? uh, I don't know. I think some days I am. I think there's a saying in poker. It's uh, sometimes you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug. Yeah. (laughs) We say that in Texas too. (laughs) Okay. 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 So, you know, it's like some days I wake up and I play and I'm like, I'm absolutely great at this game. And some days I wake up, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a dumbass. Like I know nothing. I should never play this ever again, which is like life, you know? Some, it's like life, some it's like entrepreneurship. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. I got this. It, it, is, it emulates everything that, that has to do with. So I'm very into the game. And for the first time this year, I'm going to be playing in the World Series of Poker, which I'm super excited about. No. Yeah, yeah. I made it, that was my goal. Are you like suppressing your excitement? You're like, yeah, yeah. No, because it's very unlikely that I'll win. (laughs) If I knew that I was going to win, I'd be stupidly excited. But uh, I'm excited to be on that big of a playing field with so many different players in an environment where people feel like very much like me, extreme out of passion for the game. Yeah. Well, that's quite something. Who knew? For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? Who knew? So Jason, how do people get a hold of you? So I'm extremely accessible. I'm on Instagram. I'm at Jason Saltzman. On Twitter, I'm at Saltzman Jason. And you could DM me at any time. If you are going through this problem and this resonates with you, sign up for our wait list or hopefully when you hear this, our app will be out already. But you can go to relief.app. And we actually, not only are we free for the beginning stages of building the company, we're actually paying you towards your debt to sign up early. So do that now. If you're going through this problem, we really want to help you. And that's the best. Those are the best ways. Awesome. Well, I could talk to you for hours about philosophically so many things and changing the world, but this was extremely informative. I learned a lot. I never knew some of this stuff. I didn't know the trickle down effect and the ramifications. I knew that there were ramifications for all this cash infusion, but one in three Americans are suffering under this. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a bigger problem until we get together to solve it. So. Okay. Well, let's get together and solve it. And people contact Jason. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, you bet. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today, tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with some tidbit from the show. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Interruption podcast, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.